Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Four at the Back. One of the things that's come up several times in various conversations over the course of the last few years is the 2015-2016 season, where Leicester surprised everybody from going from near relegation the previous season to run away with the Premier League, beating a whole bunch of more established sides. One of the things that's come up uh, time and time again, and one of the things that uh, Maz, who's with me tonight, has uh, said several times, is that plenty of the more established teams dropped the ball in allowing Leicester to win. When you compare the budgets and the players and so on that they that they have at their disposal, Leicester shouldn't have been allowed to win the league. And it's a real black mark on six of the, the nation's biggest clubs that Leicester City were actually allowed to do it. So, as I say, Maz is with me tonight. We're just going to go through some of the the teams that probably should have done better and just look at where they lost it and where things went wrong for them. Shall we start, Maz, with the the reigning champions going into that season? It seems like a good place because obviously there's, how can I put this? It's not easy to retain the Premier League title, but anyone that does is always, anyone that wins it is always kind of expected to be in the mix the following season. So the reigning champions were Chelsea. Jose Mourinho had just come back and won the league in the previous season, and they'd kind of run away with it at a bit of a canter, to be honest. Uh, but things did not go well for Chelsea at all this year. I don't know if you remember much about this. This was when the season where in the opening Premier League game, they drew with Swansea. And Jose Mourinho had a massive fallout in that game with the physio or club doctor, I think she actually was, Eva Carnero. Did any of this ring a bell? Yeah, so th- this this is the the Canero curse, isn't it? And this is Mourinho losing that dressing room. Is is that the year where he just totally totally loses the dressing room, which is is mental when you think about that they've just won the the title together. You know, I'm I'm a big big critic of champions falling apart. I understand the the logic that it's harder to retain than it is to win. Yes, I get that. But when you're reigning champions, you've proved you've proven that you can win that title. You know, and unless your squad has absolutely been ripped apart after your title win, you know, which you could certainly say is something you you'd expect a smaller team to have, but not 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 a team like Chelsea with with their money. It's just it's insane to me that you a Chelsea at that point are not the main challengers or are, are not there or thereabouts at the end of the season. And for me, it's that that's unforgivable. And it's, I remember that season of, like you say, you had that weird stuff with, with, with the doctor, which is still, you know, looming over them today in, in a lot of ways. And you still hear about it uh, constantly on, on certain things. But yeah, I, I think the, the, the big issue here was Mourinho losing the dressing room, wasn't it? That that was the big story for them that year. Did, did he last the whole season? No, no. So just looking at, you, you mentioned the kind of squad being gutted and, and so on. That'd be the only kind of excuse you could give. I don't think that applies. You look at the, the names that are leaving. You take Czech at Arsenal that summer and Drogba leaves, but this is aging Drogba on his way to Montreal Impact for the North American payday. Yeah, no, 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 that's old players leaving, isn't it? That's not yeah. that's not losing players in your prime. You know, we're talking about players that were in their prime five, six, seven years before that, really, aren't you? Mm. And they've just loaned in 
Falcao, I think, as a kind of season-long thing in the summer. Uh, so, I think that actually, sorry, that comes afterwards. Uh, the the only real transfer in that I can see that would have made any significant impact on Chelsea over the next few years was Pedro, and he came in for about £21 million. Uh, you would say it, the with the age disparity, that's probably got a good replacement for Drogba. So there's no real... No, nothing really in the transfer business that hints at that. It does just look like he lost the dressing room over that incident with the doctor. And I don't think it was just that, though, was it? There, there, there was a lot of other stuff going on. It was a, a changing, changing mentality, wasn't it, in the team? And this was not the guys that Mourinho bought to stu- superstardom in oh four oh five. These guys that owed Mourinho everything. No, that's true. Um, this isn't the special ones era, is it? You know, who who was there? Were any of that team still about at that point? You know, if Czech and Drogba have just gone, was Lampard had gone by this point? Yeah, so Lampard went to America briefly, didn't he, and then came back to Man City. City yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I think John Terry was still there, but he was probably more of a kind of backup player by this point. On borrowed knees, yeah. yeah um, so, so Ivanovic is still there. John Obi Mikel is still there. How I'm not sure. <laughs> Terry's still there. And that's about it. To be honest. But you know, I, I wonder if this is very much like um their championship the year before was like uh Fergie's part in one and you know it was literally a last hurrah for for a lot of people and it just didn't work out the next season and it was a catalyst for change that was needed. I think the the thing about the doctor is not so much that they particularly liked the doctor, although I'm sure they, they did from what you you read, but the thing was that it was a player welfare issue and that Mourinho didn't have the relationship with these players to insist that you should play through an injury. And that's kind of how, what started the ball rolling. You know, so who are you to say that the doctor shouldn't come on if I need the doctor? That And that's maybe a very big difference from the likes of a Lampard and a John Terry. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly, yeah, different era, you know, your, your Lampards, your Terry's, and that player—they were certainly from a different, a different era. You're not talking about a huge age range, but you know that physical fitness and you know breeding machines—that's it, it, the era where it's come on, hasn't it? And yeah, so so that will be probably count for that. You know, people don't really care for you know that younger generation don't care for that play through anything attitude. Mm. So Chelsea were, and this is having run away with the league the previous year, remember, 16th by the end of November. Wow. And after losing to Leicester, which, you know, ends up being a, not as bad a result as uh, as people might have thought at the time, but losing to Leicester in the December, Mourinho was sacked. So he didn't make it to Christmas, having won the league the year before. That's how, how bad the form is. Uh, I don't think, knowing all that we know about Roman Abramovich that it's a surprise that Mourinho was sacked with the team just hovering above the relegation zone. No, I don't I, I'm not sure how many big club uh, boards would would accept that, you know, even coming off a title win. That's not really something you can do. No, indeed. And uh, I suppose it it does kind of say as well how much of a temporary thing it is that the following year Conte's going to come in a couple of 
significant buys and some tweaks to the system and you know they're going to win the league again and do it looking like a great team having had such a tumultuous season the year before shall we go to the northwest next because i don't think there's much else to say you know chelsea were out of the running almost immediately as champions and that opens the door to to everybody else and i guess we could go to to Man United next, going to the northwest. This is Louis Van Gaal was still in charge, if you can believe it. It feels like an eternity ago, doesn't wow. it? Yeah. yeah. It's his last season, and they're in the mix right the way up until the winter. And then out of nowhere, they go on a six game run without a win. So they draw away at Leicester. Again, not such a bad result as it. You know, may have been looked in the November. Uh, draw at home with West Ham. Man United then, now, whenever, regardless of form, you know, home draws and are, are never seen as good results. Here's where it really gets kind of awful for them, though. Bournemouth, who'd been promoted, they lose away. Norwich, who'd been promoted, they lose at home. And then they lose away at Stoke. And with <sighs> those three defeats in a row, they fall out of the top four and then never back in for the rest of the season. Wow, that's that's shocking. Who are we talked about in this United team? What what are they? Right, so this is the year that they buy Schneiderland and Bastian Schweinsteiger and Martial comes in that year. Uh, in terms of people making lots of appearances, you've got De Gea, uh, Memphis Depay makes twenty nine starts and off the bench. Juan Mata's a regular. Rooney's still there, but obviously by 2016, this is the the very end of his career. Chris Small in 35 appearances. Michael Carrick's still there. He's even older than Rooney. Daly Blind. Ashley Young is still kind of there. A lot of of players that didn't really do it for United or were were on their way out. You know, they're they're still United. So, you know, you you (laughs) you would still peg United with all their pedigree with the players that they had aging or otherwise to finish above Leicester in any given league season. But yeah, you, you, you aren't talking about vintage United here and them holding on the top four for so long was quite, quite um, shocking in itself, to be fair. Not much to say about that United team. Yeah. The transfer business in the summer wasn't great. If you look at it, there's not too many names here that made a huge impact. So Memphis Depay, Obviously, has done better since moving on from United. Uh, Matteo Damian, quite a few appearances, but I mean, I can't remember too much of him doing good stuff at United. Schweinsteiger is aging even when they bring him in. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, it, it, it's it's an inter- it, It's a good squad player to have when you're when you're struggling a bit for experience, I guess. But yeah, he's not at that age gonna gonna change up your midfield, is he? No, Schneiderland came in from Southampton, as I say, and quickly became a bit of a scapegoat. Sergio Romero's just added a bit of goalkeeping depth, if I remember right. And then Martial, who is still there and sort of flatters to deceive sometimes, I guess you could say. You'll, you'll come on good He's runs. Done that. And... Yeah, <laughs> done that since the get-go, hasn't he, really? You, you, you start to think you've got a player on your hand, and he's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. There's quite a lot of outgoings from United so there's a bit of a clear out too but again I'm not sure any of them could really be looked at as a reason there's they're either aging players or players that shouldn't make that much of a difference so you know Nanny moves on Robin Van Persie moves on 
Raphael. The big one, I guess, was Angel Di Maria, but that transfer never worked in the first place. He was another one that came good and went cold. Yeah, you're, you're talking you're talking about players not being replaced. You know, aging players who might not have been at their best, but you know, you're, you're you know bringing in likes of Schneiderlin and, and and players like that. You're not you're not replacing players like for like, are you? No, I don't think either Depay or Martial, even with Di Maria not kind of working out as they'd hoped, I don't think either of those could be said to have replaced him at United. No, either. no, and to be fair there you're talking about young exciting talent who maybe could have you know I think Depay has certainly gone on to show that he was better than his United run mm. by, by, by some distance however you know it, sometimes sometimes it don't work out that's why when you're a team of United that uh, statue you need that strength in depth you know if someone's not working out you, you should have some proven quality in there who can do a job if who can do a a, a, a good decent job even if it's not a, a an absolute superstar job you know mm. a, a Giroud type job should we say <laughs> yeah yeah Giroud's kind of an underappreciated forward in that he does that role he doesn't necessarily have to start every week he doesn't have to spend ages getting up to to speed but he's a serviceable you know striker for the for the top clubs the, as a as a kind of squad player and uh, you know, sometimes that's kind of what you need. And I think what the United team had a problem with during this run was they would sometimes take young players, drop them into a team that hadn't solved its fundamental issues and were surprised when they didn't work out. And maybe that explains why Depay, as he gets older and, and moves on, actually kind of looks better somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably less pressure of being, you know, the guy that's got to save one of the the, the most famous clubs in the world it it's, mm. can't be easy that especially when you're coming from just playing for Lyon or wherever it was he was playing for before uh, yeah it, it's a big step up yeah I think he was actually in Holland the year before was right? he in Holland oh he went to Lyon afterwards didn't he that's right yeah yeah, yeah. and uh yeah it's like I guess you could say that as much as we're kind of hitting them here they did win the FA Cup so it's still better than it's been for United for the last two or three years uh, a bright spot like I say you know I, you know if, if they if they were fourth for half the season that that in itself is quite an achievement with, with that squad when they look at it yeah and they do as I say they fall out in the kind of December and so it's the, it's the back half of the season that they are essentially fifth and sixth for the whole year so they don't end up a mile off the pace but well, I say a mile off the pace, a mile off the Champions League pace, rather. But uh, they do fall out of the contention for the league by Christmas, which for Man United is is not great. And it's it's worse, as you say, when it, the title was there to be won. Yeah. Their rivals across the city then were in it a lot longer. They were the early pace setters. And it's only after around 14 games that they fall off the top of the league. But they're in the, the running well into the new year they get a hard run of games though that essentially knocks them off and i don't know maybe with city's resources you won't feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for them but oh absolutely zero yeah <laughs> especially but, as two of these get uh, games are at home as well but also you know I, I i look at city you know the city we have certainly in the last few years as uh, a very a team that doesn't, you know, even when they haven't won the league, you don't look at them as a team that 
necessarily buckles under pressure. They, they might lose the odd game here or there, but they don't strike me as a team that will menta- mentally fall apart. Who, who are we talking about? Is this pre-Guardiola? Yeah, so it's Pellegrini's last season. Pellegrini, before right. they before they switch it up, it's the year that they sign Sterling and Van de Bruyne. So it's starting to get a more modern look to it as a team. You know, the, some of the personnel are becoming more familiar. But crucially, not long before they go on this little run, De Bruyne gets injured, and then Sterling is injured in the run in as well. So although the, the league's kind of already lost by then, uh, but they do lose their big superstar marquee signings at various points in the run in. Again, with the resources that they have, probably very little sympathy. But yeah, that is something to consider. So what are we looking at in terms of the first team squad? Joe Hart, Bakary Sanya, Company, Zabaleta, Fernando, Sterling, Nasri, Aguero, Kolarov. They still had uh, Wilfred Bonny on the bench. Yeah, blimey, that was a signing, wasn't it? Yeah. Swansea's finest. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that they should not have. They should not have choked this this title. City is the team that should have won the title this year. As much as Arsenal and Spurs choked it and Leicester took their chance, it's unforgivable even with injuries for City to, to, to lose that as far as I'm concerned. However, they'll be forgiven because they've won plenty <laughs> plenty of others there in jury. But, you know, if, if this was a one-off where, where they had that chance to, to really take it, it would be a lot more unforgivable, but yeah, Manchester City should have should have been the ones to make it stick, really. And like I say, as they've gone gone on, you know, may, maybe it was that experience that year that, that have made them that much stronger. You know, in run-ins, you know, you look at what they did this year, what they did in uh, 2018-2019 with, with those two years where Liverpool were really breathing down their necks and you know just did not flinch in the run-in at all. That's something special, you know. And if you're talking about a group of players, you know, many some of them are still playing now. Um, who were part of that team? I guess that's an experience. You're like, right? I don't want to. I don't want to live that again. Mm. That could very well be part of that mentality. It's there for the taking. They certainly had the money. They didn't have the problems that were plaguing Chelsea back behind the scenes. It, it doesn't seem so. Yeah, it, it really was theirs to throw away more than anyone else's, I think, in 2016. So after beating Sunderland in early February, they were still second. And the next game was at home against Leicester and they lose it. And they're 3-0 down at one point. Aguero gets them a consolation goal. Robert Huth scores twice. So I'm guessing they couldn't defend set pieces on that day. I just, I find a hard time imagining Huth scoring twice without some sort of... Unless he... Did he rocket some in from... 30 yards, and I just can't remember. Who knows? He, he might have done a Maradona against England for a while. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought so, but, you know, may, may, maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe there was a chink in their armour that um, teams found and exploited while they struggled back end of the season. It does happen sometimes, doesn't it? With it does. Big teams, you, you find a soft centre. You know, I know with Arsenal, it was often the case. Our, our inability defend, to defend free kicks were was our undoing a lot of the time. Certainly once the, the vaunted back four had been moved on. Yeah. And that, yeah. They compound this then, City, by losing at home again. You know, so back-to-back home defeats. And that's probably the bit that's unforgivable for championship contenders. It is Tottenham. So it's not like, you know, these are teams that are down the wrong end of the table. But yeah, they've just lost two back-to-back. And then they go away to Liverpool and make it three. 
and by that point they are out of the running for the the title and in the end they they're only just about able to to limp over the line and hold on to the fourth place in the in the Champions League because they lose to Southampton away and draw with Arsenal and draw away at Swansea in their last three so yeah a real real sour end to the season once they were out of it yeah that's that strikes me as needing change that would be why it's Pellegrini's last season wouldn't it yeah I think so uh, some good recruitment and sets them up for the next few years and they've become crucial players under Guardiola. But again, it's Man City. How much of this is actually to do with the manager? You know, Pep's a bit different from the guys who came before where they were they were just coaches, I think. Uh, Pep's the one that's been allowed to shape the club in, in his own image to a large degree. But yeah, very much a team that has been on the wind down, having been champions a couple of years before. And, you know, when... Guardiola was available. I think it was inevitable with that run out of the season that the change was going to be made. Speaking yeah. of teams that were in decline, let's move across to a team not too far away from me, Liverpool. Just about, I guess we could say, a team that should still be seeing this as a missed opportunity because it's what two years earlier that they'd finished in second and were probably unlucky to have. To have lost the league, you know, this is the Gerrard slip season. They'd had a fairly bad year the the year before. By comparison, they'd fallen about four places and were out of the Champions League. But in a year where Leicester win it, any Liverpool team should be thinking that they should have had a chance to win the league, right? Yeah, I mean, what are we talking about Liverpool here? Obviously, they've lost Sterling then, if City have just signed him. Yes. Um, Oh, is this the whole Barini, Andy Carroll Andy Carroll, who, who had a, a right load of uh, strikers up front, didn't they? That they they'd gone from Suarez and 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 Sterling to a, a so, bunch of journeymen, pretty much. So they tried to. This is the year they tried to buy Benteke and tried to make that work, even though he was just a completely poor fit for for their team. And you know he uh, has to go on to Crystal Palace to to revive his career a bit. So making lots of appearances this year, you've got uh, Mignolet in goal, Nathaniel Klein. Emre Chan, Alberto Moreno, James Milner, Bobby Firmino's already there, Coutinho still there, Adam Lalana, Dejan Lovren in central defence, Sacco, Mamadou Sacco with him, Lucas is still there, Martin Skirtle's still there, Jordan Henderson's coming through, Holo Torre's there, Joe Allen's still there from the unfortunate kind of Roy Hodgson era a few years earlier, Daniel Sturridge is still there, so it's a bit of a mixed bag of players yeah, that's, this, is a, this is a transition period isn't it absolutely they're coming out aren't they of that Suarez era and, and looking to raid Southampton for their next era aren't they yeah uh, yeah it, it's like United it's not it, if you're a Liverpool fan at this point you're not you're not going to be that hopeful you've lost Sterling you lost Suarez what a year earlier or was that was that both at the same time uh, so Sterling had gone this summer before and, and Suarez had probably gone the year before that, I'm guessing, because didn't he get picked off pretty much after that great season that they had? Yeah, I still can't believe 40 million and one didn't work, but never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it, it's all change, isn't it? They need to find their way again after losing some big names. And I remember Sturridge not being pretty much overnight not being the player that he was when he was playing with the likes of Suarez and, and Sterling. So, I mean, I believe there are probably injuries involved to get that, but we're not talking about a, a period where I'm looking at the game too closely. So, 
yeah, it, it's on paper. It's not a thing you'd expect to win the league. But again, paper or no paper, if you're a Liverpool fan, you would never expect to finish below uh, Leicester in the league, you know, ever. At your worst, you wouldn't expect it. So for that alone, you would think we, we probably should have won it. Where did, where did they finish? Eight. Eight. That's so, so here's how it because they were never in it basically. So here's how the it goes. They win the opening two games, uh, one nil away at Stoke and then one nil home to Bournemouth. But then they go on an eight game run where they mostly draw, lose twice and only win one game. And Oof. that win was against the worst team in the division. And as it was that season, that that team will remain nameless. They only um, won it by a single <laughs> goal as well. Uh, yeah, we were shite and they only beat us by one goal at home. So they've won three of their opening 10 games and Brendan Rodgers, it was sacked. So the rest of the season is about really Klopp coming in and trying to right the ship as much as he possibly uh, can. Is this, is this Klopp coming in to save the day, is it? So, yeah. yeah. You can't, they, they could never have been expecting much, could they really, that season? Yeah, so I guess they would have been quite optimistic after two wins and a draw away at Arsenal. But yeah, losing then to West Ham and Man United in the next two games, put them down into mid-table. They're 10th when Rodgers is sacked and they finish 8th. They're, they're never in the mix. Uh, it's a missed opportunity only because everybody else had a bad season as well. But the, the start basically put them behind the eight ball. So who finishes above them in the top seven? Which non yeah, that's team a, that's not champion or the big six? That's an interesting question. Bear with me a second. West Ham and Southampton finished sixth and seventh. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Uh, Southampton finishing in sixth. This is the Ronald Koeman Southampton team that gets him the Everton job. So he's still quite highly rated at this point as a coach. And I guess maybe so he's, he obviously ended up talking Van Dijk and Mane there at the, that point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so Klopp is going to raid them and yeah. uh, and swap places. So let's see, we've done the first four of the names on the list. That only leaves the two North London clubs, and these are the ones who probably in the end come away with the biggest sense of missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, perfect world, I guess. Finger would have won this title and fucked off. <laughs> that would have been a nice send-off, right? You know, kind of like Fergie did a couple of years before win that last title it, the opportunity was there it's, I just think about that embarrassing celebration when we when we turned over Leicester and the running and then just as we tend to do choke it um, shall, shall we stick with Arsenal first then and you, you know go through the painful bit and then you can have fun laughing at Tottenham to finish yeah I guess that's, so that's it looks like Arsenal really kind of lost it in in the January, because they are still top of the league after, I think it's 22 league games, which is quite deep into the season, really. You know, you've, you're over the halfway point at that. But things have started to turn. So there's a four game run, draw three and lose one. And that really like scuppers the the, uh, the team a little bit, to be honest. And it's, it's not like they're particularly awful results, but... In a title run, and you're not going to be overly happy with some of these. So away at Liverpool, who we just said are not a vintage team, three all. Joe Allen nets a 90th minute equaliser. So if you could have held on there, that would have changed things. Uh, nil nil draw. Was that Sorry. the one where there were penalties, like in the 99th minute or something like that? I can't remember. All those more recent seasons are a blur to me. But no. So this is Firmino scores 
twice in the first 20 minutes and Ramsey scores. So there's, there's four goals in the first 25 minutes to make it two all. Then Drew scores in the second half. So you lead in three, two right up to injury time. And then Joe Allen pops up with a equalizer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that at all. Do you? Uh, I don't, which is weird because I, like, I'd assume I was getting drawn into it a bit at this point. Then in the next game, you go away to your favourite team and draw nil-nil at Stoke. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is a fairly typical Arsenal result during this period, to be honest, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then you lose at home to Chelsea. Mertesacker sent off after 18 minutes, cost a goal after 23 minutes, and then presumably they shut up shop after that. I remember that game, actually. That one I remember. Yeah. And then frustrated with that one. And then the one that you probably needed to come back from, because losing to Chelsea is no terrible result on its own, but you can't break down Southampton at home in the following game. And by that point, you've obviously you've lost the lead. You've fallen actually to fourth after that game. And you're going to fight your way back up to second, but there's a couple of more defeats and a few too many draws in the running. Let's just have a look at who else you lose to then. United away, not a terrible result, but Swansea at home and Tottenham away as a draw. So those kind of three games back to back is probably where you, it gets beyond you I would say that's a big choke isn't it that that is a massive choke we could have easily gathered you know an extra nine points in those games somewhere along the line here there and everywhere couldn't we and you if you're looking to win the league you'd expect to to grind out a result against a bit against the very poor Liverpool side there and you know you'd certainly expect to go to Stoke and, and get a win and, and and stuff like that, even when it's not, they are a team that have been a bit of a bogey team for us. You know, you, you'd expect us to to get that. I mean, what we'd have needed t- ten more points, we we we'd have been level on points with Leicester. And those results that you just said, there were more than ten, comfortably more than ten points up for grabs there. Uh, yeah, if you turn the Liverpool, Stoke, and Southampton draws into wins. So that's an extra six points. And you turn the Swansea defeat into a win. That's nine of the ten just there. Yeah. Yeah. Pick up a point here or there or an extra win here or there, which is what you should be doing in these games. It's like I say, it's unforgivable. And you're talking about, you know, of these modern era Arsenal teams, you're talking about a moment in time where we've got Alexis Sanchez and... Um, Mesut Ozil playing very, very, very good football for us. We're talking about two world-class players playing together, which I'm not certain Arsenal had, had since like 06. Mm. Um, yeah, there was usually one player who had a particularly good season and that. And yeah. I was kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. The pattern was generally we, we'd have a player who steps up, they'd get praised, they'd become captain of the team and then they'd go somewhere else, you know. Fabregas to Van Persie to to whoever, but yeah, this to have Alexis and Ozil uh, at that point both playing excellent. You know, you had Ramsey in a pretty strong period of time, and you know Giroud getting a a decent haul of goals up front with with those two. You know, not someone who's setting the world on fire with his talent, but a, a very good strong player. And when you've got Ozil and and, and Sanchez in the team, you know, you don't need him to be a big flair player, do you? And yeah, it, it's, you look at that team and it, it's probably, probably the best one of, of the decade, 
when, when you look at it. So makes it even more of a missed opportunity. So have a look at who was in there and um, who else wasn't playing. Was was this one of the years that um, Santi Cazorla was injured a lot? Played 15 games for us that year. So, you know, 20 less than you'd want from him. That was the only real issue with Cazorla, wasn't it? It wasn't always fit. Uh, a tremendous footballer. Uh, yeah. Probably one of the better players you had through that that period. Do you think, because yeah. uh, the only sizable kind of sum spent in this previous summer were on Petr Cech and Mohamed El Nene, and even he was kind of seven, seven and a half million quid. Uh, just wondering if, yeah, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. just wondering if actually it was just the, the fact that the, the recruitment wasn't there in the summer to actually make a, a go of it, or do you think that's a bit of a, a let off? Oh, it's a let off, yeah. If this was a normal season, then I don't think we should have been in a position where we would have challenged uh, Chelsea who weren't imploding or uh, a city that were just not quite doing what they should have done. If, if those two were playing to their bank accounts, should we say, absolutely. But, you know, this this Arsenal team, when you think you think about the quality in that, in that Leicester team that, that have gone on, when you talk about that team, you, you mainly think talk about Vardy, who you know has proved that he is that good each and every season. Kante, who's at one point certainly became probably the best player in the world in his position, mm. and Mares, who you know on his day is an absolute talent. Three great players in that team, and a, a lot of very good pros. But again, talk about Ozil, Sanchez at, at their prime. You know, we're talking about a strong defensive pairing of. Well, you know, not historically for Arsenal, but, you know, for, for the time period of Koscielny and Mertesacker and, and, and Gabriel Polista coming through, who's still doing a good job in, in Spain these days and and stuff like that. I guess maybe if you got a bit more out of Walcott that season, who again started 15, 13 off the bench, you know, yeah. Giroud started 26, one, one more star player. Maybe we would have done it. Uh, we would have had that, that little bit extra to go on. But yeah, you know, you're still talking about not quite the, the level of world class throughout the pitch, I guess. But, yeah, there's a, a lot of good pros here, aren't there? You look, look names like kind of Bellerin, Monreal. You know, some of these are, how to put it, nice squad players rather than obvious league yeah. winners. I think that's it. You know, you've got, Second spell Flamini in there. You've got Coquelin who who looked decent in that role. But like you say, you you wouldn't want any of these guys starting for you week in week out. And, you know, none of them could get a sniff at, uh, at our Arsenal's uh, Arsenal Fingers Greatest Eleven episode. That, that's, no, that's kind of the key. Yeah, and obviously, I suppose you kind of have to add as well. This is the first year that Wilshire doesn't manage to make ten Premier League appearances. Yeah, and and that I guess that hurt. I mean, I know you've got the uh, creativity of Ozil there, and you know, with, with Sanchez also in the team, you know, you can play Ozil a bit deeper in that midfield. But yeah, you know, with with uh, Wilshire hardly kicking a ball all season, and Santi Cazorla get getting fifteen games. You know, when when you talk about those midfield playmakers that, that Arsenal have, though that player that you know Wenger loved at that point, those two were a very talented 
pair between them, but you know, couldn't even play half half the games between them. Mm. It, it does make it a bit of a struggle. Um, aside from that, you've just got, like, say, squad players galore doing a decent job as squad players, but you know they should be coming in to replace better players when those better players aren't about. And I suppose the one thing you can say is that they did finish the the league reasonably strongly and managed to push Spurs into third in what looked like a two-horse race for a, a spell. <laughs> yeah. so, so shall we move on now and let you have a bit more fun and talk about Tottenham? Because I guess this is the one that got away for them and in the only time they've looked like winning the league in recent memory. It's worth pointing out that they actually start very badly. So you can almost say that they lost it by putting themselves so far behind you know everybody to start because they don't win any of their first four games they lose to man united draw at home with stoke uh, draw away with leicester which again eventually looks like a much better result than it does early on and then draw at home with everton and then they win a couple of games one nil and start to get on a bit more of a roll but that you know four games without a win is already going to leave you quite a bit behind the pace setters isn't it yeah i mean it was a weird season wasn't it and and that I remember that very early on from Leicester. The, the whole Leicester are top of the league. Well, they ain't going to stay there, are they? There's always a team early on that, that does well and, and does that. And it's like whenever someone started to challenge, they just kind of fell away a bit. And then someone else had a go and they fell away a bit. And Leicester just like kept on going and kept on going, kept on going. And, you know, like you say, the madness was is, you know, as much as Arsenal were were there for, for a long part of, well, for the early part of the season and then, then fell off for it to then be, well, it's going to be Spurs, isn't it? And then Spurs tag, absolutely, you know, if if the Spursy tag came from any season, it's this one right here, you'd have to think. And to, to fall away to finish third in, like you say, third in a two-horse race as it was, was mad, which it, it could be unfair when you look at things across the whole of the season. Would you have expected Spurs to be the team to set the biggest challenge. No, it shouldn't. Back once again, it should have been Chelsea or City, really. However, Tottenham and Arsenal were the ones at the prime moments that found found ourselves in that position to make a make a real fist of it. But yeah, Tottenham absolutely thrown it away after Arsenal had already thrown it away to the point where Arsenal came back and left them. You know, what's mental and probably not talked about enough Leicester won the title by 10 points it's yeah you know it's not like they've you'd say these underdogs have just about held on at the end they won it by 10 points it's insane they won it by 10 points having drawn three of the last five so it's not even like they went out in the form that they shown to win it they before that they'd won something like five out of six and kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit as once it was clear that they were going to win it yeah yeah it, it, it was there and in the bag for them. And hey, it's, I was just looking at Spurs' results. They yeah. they had that really good run going up to... I mean, they badge United and Stoke yeah. back to back. So let's just fill this in for the uh, for the listening several. Uh, the, they do, after that run of four without a win, they're down in 15th, but they kind of recover up to fifth after 16 games there's a lot of draws though they've only lost two games really in the first half of the season but plenty of draws and that's maybe the thing that's slown up and then they go on this run as you say where they only draw and lose one of the next well quite a lot of games so uh from december until the end of february uh, so they draw once away at everton and they lose 
in what eventually becomes a really important result. They lose at home to Leicester. But there's a huge amount of wins either side of that. They're really starting to pick up some momentum. And you think maybe they can force their way back into it. And then this is where I think the, the choke happens, if you like, is the away defeat at West Ham and the home draw with Arsenal. And something about those two results just puts it out of their hands. And there's going to be more bad results to come, but they're always behind Leicester and having to play catch up. And that's what makes the the fall apart in that final few weeks of the season inevitable, I think, is that having gone on that good run, they go away to a team like West Ham who always want to get one over on Tottenham. We know that. And they can't get anything from the game. And then they've obviously got Northland Derby, always a tough game to follow. The, those two just end their competitive interest really in the season. Yeah, which is mad seeing they've still got 10 fucking games to play. It's yeah. quite crazy really how, how easy it was for, for Leicester in the end. But, you know, I don't, again, we're not talking about an all-time points haul here. You're talking about a lot of big teams throwing it away. But yeah, you know, it, it, it was funnier for them to get battered at Newcastle on the last day of the season and, and <laughs> that's a uh, weird result isn't it yeah I, I, your head's gone hasn't it really at that point you know what have you got to play for Champions League's in, in, in the bag and you're long gone out of the league it, it's what you're playing for what's your motivation you know sometimes without that pressure teams do really well and other times teams just absolutely fall apart and you know they they didn't get a win in their last four you know, so it, it, it tells you a lot about how they were just out of it at that point. And yeah, it was there. Leicester had, had done it. They'd absolutely smashed it. And it was unbelievable, really. You know, still to this point, it's unbelievable how many, how, how so many big teams didn't do it. You know, even when you look at everything we've talked about here, how, you know, maybe Tottenham, weren't ready yet. We aren't talking about an Arsenal team that are known for getting huge amounts of, of, of victories in in things and, and really challenging for the title at that point. And then you've got City and Chelsea with all their money just not happening and certainly not vintage United or Liverpool teams. But, you know, it's still, as you say, it's Leicester that won it. You wouldn't expect those Liverpool or United teams to challenge City. But you'd think they could they could go up against Leicester. But, you know, maybe we're being too harsh on Leicester here. Maybe these questions aren't really ones that should be answered. Maybe it's just that Leicester captured lightning in a bottle that year and they had players falling into their team at the right time, at the right stage of their career, and just magic happened. And it was something for, for the world to enjoy. Mm. Yeah, and it, it uh, was a, a magic season in that respect. Uh, as, as we said when we did that episode, I don't think we're likely to see quite such a dramatic turnaround again. Uh, it's it's such a rarity to, to see any kind of surprise winner, let alone one that really only stayed up by the skin of their teeth the previous year. Uh, just to head back to Spurs for a moment, though, uh, obviously there's actually a fair bit of transfer business. Trippier, Alderweireld and Son all sign in that window so it's unlike some of these other clubs you can't look at this and say it was a bad recruitment kind of situation they just those are three really good signings aren't they yeah yeah i'm just looking at the the outgoings as well there's not anybody here that really makes you think oh that would have been a big mess and they they were kind of replacing important people they were all either aging out or 
people that hadn't really worked and were being moved on, likes of Soldado, Yunus uh, Kabul, who obviously wasn't uh, getting any younger, Etienne Kapui, remember him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so nothing. Aaron Lennon was obviously aging by that point. Adebayor, oh Christ. Um, yeah, so that kind of says it all, I think. Uh, the one thing you can maybe say is that Spurs ended up with the best goal difference, so maybe they were a little bit of a flat trap bully this year. They you would run up the score against the some of the weaker teams, but actually ended up losing, sorry, uh, not winning as many goal games as, as either Leicester or Arsenal, and probably didn't do enough to win the close ones. Maybe that's the, the legacy of that team. That could be it. And I, but I, I think for Spurs, it's got to go down for Spurs as the biggest most opportunity. Because the fact is, within 10 years either side of that um, that's it's season, well, 12 years either side of that season, if you're going to include us, you know, these teams have all seen their team win the league. You know, Spurs mm. haven't since uh, black and white TVs. And yeah, the 60s, right? Yeah. And that was a golden opportunity. They, on paper, were a better team than Leicester. Their other rivals, their big money rivals, the, the rivals they wouldn't have expected to um, beat at all, put themselves out of contention. They were there. They they were the last team, you know, even though they finished third, they, they were realistically the last team to have a shot at stopping them. And I think they'd be absolutely kicking themselves that they didn't do it. And they should have done it. I think Spurs, it's the biggest missed opportunity for Spurs they'll have, and they'll probably not get an opportunity like that again, you know, not for the foreseeable future anyway. Yeah, they'll be putting quite a lot of stock in, you know, what Conte can do. Obviously, he's a, a proven winner, but uh, yeah, the, it was the one that got away. And I guess it must rankle a little bit that not only could they not win the league, but they ended up losing second place on top with that that awful kind of collapse so i don't think they've finished above third in uh in recent memory either obviously yeah i'd, I'd bite your hand off a third but suppose have probably been looking up a lot more than we have lately it, it's their thing and you know the the fact is with what Klopp has made liverpool you know with the finance and what guardiola has made city those two right now are in a different league to everyone else um you know as we've seen this season Plus, on top of that, you, you've got Chelsea, who have been there or thereabouts in most seasons because of what they've got. It'll be interesting to see what kind of funds Chelsea are actually going to have to spend and, and try and get back in amongst the City and, uh, and Liverpool in, in the coming season. Spurs on on that level, you know, and if you can get a contact. Yeah, Spurs aren't on that level of City and where certainly where Chelsea were. Liverpool's money, a lot of that is going to come in because they're Liverpool and they've got such a huge global fan base, you know, so they might not be as free spending as City and owners pumping in that cash. But what Klopp has done has been fantastic. And, you know, if you're a Spurs fan, that's what you're going to hope Conte can do to get them in that mix. And possibly he might, you know, if there's a constant feeling around the club however that Conte is liable to leave when things aren't going his way then that'll be a worry and that's when you're going to start getting Kane's going to leave rumours and I'm sure Son's going to leave rumours won't be too far behind that if that does start to happen so 
if Spurs are going to want some success, I don't think Conte is going to have a huge amount of time to build that up. I think it's going to need to happen quite quickly for them, for it to all work, for a guy that's notoriously restless to to stick around. He's going to want to be successful pretty quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's going to... And it's been, a, it's been a good season for him, you know, to, to get that Champions League place. And I think that's probably kept the rumours of Conte moving on and Kane moving on again from, from their door for a summer. Possibly, yeah. you know, it, it's to be seen. But they've got Champions League football and that, that's important. And they've made a good signing already this summer. You'd expect a couple more to come and it, it will be a big, big season for Spurs next year, you know. Yeah. Can they can they put if they can put a challenge in to Liverpool, not necessarily win the league. I think that's probably a step too far for them for next year. But yeah, they just want to be more competitive, don't they? If they can be competitive, you know, which is you know what I've always wanted for Arsenal, and that's been my biggest criticism is not finishing fourth, is seeing that as a bad thing, seeing that as a trophy. My problem is is that being the limit of our ambitions to not actually have a good run at the title. And, you know, if you fall away at the end again, you fall away at the end again, you know, it's always going to be a lot harder against team with, with more resources. But if you can give it a good go and be in there until, you know, certainly late April, then that is what I think that Arsenal and Spurs of this day and age will be looking at as a, as a successful season at this point. Mm, But then of course you'd have to build on it. And then hoping that you get a season like this where some of the big boys underperform and somebody can kind of slide slide through. That's it. I mean, you're always going to get a big boy underperforming, aren't you? But you know, there's one every year. Yeah, to to get you know multiple big boys underperforming, to have multiple teams there, and you know, have we even ever had in in recent memory a team? You say Leicester winning it. Have you? Have we had a team of that standard actually? in the title racing, even if they haven't until late on. You know, a team that's not one of the historic big six. In recent years? I, I can't remember the last non-big six team that was, did have a shot at the title uh, as it got pretty late on into the season. Uh, Forest 95. That's probably the most recent one I can think of. When Everton finished in the Champions League, having almost gone down the year before, they were never really in the title race. They just finished fourth, which was still a, yeah. a wonderful result. Um, Ipswich, when they finished fifth or whatever, they weren't really in the title race, I don't think. We are, it probably is the mid-90s. Yeah. And it's a, a different game at that point, isn't it? It was, you know? yeah. More like the old first division, where it was a much more equality in between the sides and, and you could move around a lot more easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there wasn't really there wasn't a big six to to speak of at that point, really, was no. there? You know, you're talking Not about so. you know '95 Blackburn were champions. You know, '90 '96 '97 Newcastle were there, almost there. Having so, only yeah. been promoted a couple of years earlier themselves. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So just to finish this off with a kind of happier note for you, because you've already mentioned that Tottenham went to pieces on the the last day. There was another little story that kind of ties into this. Because although we've said they were basically chasing Leicester and hoping for Leicester to mess up after the North London derby on the 5th of March, they don't actually fall apart completely and and mathematically find themselves out of the title until the draw away at Chelsea in May. And that game was refereed by Mark Clattenburg. 
And he apparently has said after the sometime after the game and probably after he retired that that game Spurs lost their heads so bad that he could have quite easily sent off about three players. But it was so obvious they weren't getting anything from the game that he said, I'm not I just don't want them to be able to blame anybody but themselves. So they right. actually, they wow. lost their heads that much two games even before the 5-1. So it is a phenomenal collapse. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. It's not good for them. It's good for me. <laughs> I enjoy it. It's certainly good for Leicester. Yeah. But yeah, it's a sad day when you've got to take the consolation prize of laughing at your rivals because you can't enjoy your wins. And that that's kind of what Arsenal have become in recent years. It's like beating Spurs in a game of football is pretty much the highlight of our season now which, you know, for years and years and years would have been Spurs because, you know, they weren't finishing above us. They weren't winning anything. So if they if they knocked us off in a league game, then it's it's highlight of their season. And yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty much swap roles now. If I was feeling a bit churlish, I'd say it's like a lifetime of being a Birmingham City fan. But uh, maybe that's... <laughs> maybe it's not too apt a comparison because you guys actually do still finish in the top few positions in the in the entire english pyramid and uh yeah i think that's uh, as good a place to kind of wrap this one up as any we've kind of been through all six teams gone through where they where they basically let things get away from them in a couple of cases they were never really in the running and it was aging teams or bad recruitment or so on but there's definitely three or four teams here who went on bad runs at the wrong time and were never really able to recover and and to put much of a a chase in on on Leicester uh so yeah well that's that's that one in the the books we'll probably do some more of these kind of deep dives into seasons and look at how things happened the way they did because quite often the the story only gets told from one perspective and as we can see with this there's a lot of things that go into making a league season happen the way it does we're going to be back throughout the, uh, the summer so as we go on with a few more of these kind of episodes. Again, hopefully you'll join us again soon. And uh, yeah, until then, take care. Yeah.